my wife is a crime show junkie. And that's sort of a confession on, her, on behalf of her. My, my wife is a crime show junkie. Anybody like that? Like you like crime shows? She freaks me out sometimes because of this. You know, so I like her. You know, one of her favorite shows is NCIS. And that's cool. You know, that's all right because it's kind of fun and funny and all that kind of stuff. But her next favorite show or other favorite show is Criminal Minds. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we have a bunch of budding sociopaths in the room. <laughs> Because that's what it's about. It's about tracking down sociopaths and trying to understand why they're sociopaths and learning how to be a sociopath. That's what it, I'm sure that's what it's all about. One of, my, one of my wife's favorite shows, I think it just went off the air this last season maybe, one of my wife's favorite shows has been Bones. You know Bones about Dr. Brennan? Dr. Brennan's this brilliant bone doctor, and she is, she's a forensic scientist doctor, and she uses the study of bones in murdered victims to find out how the murder happened, how it went down, and she's brilliant at this, but in her growing up years, as I understand it, she sort of missed out on some of the like cultural twists on things, so she doesn't always get like what's going on and, and sort of misses the idioms of life. Ducks up in a row. I can maybe I can head it up. I don't up. know what that means, but I think I can be a duck. Not a duck, okay? On this one, we stick to the book. I don't know what that means. 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 I don't know what it means. I don't know what any of it means. I don't know what it means. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. Well, I know what it means, obviously. What I don't understand is its significance. Not to sound like Dr. Brennan, but I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. I don't know what any of this stuff means. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. I have no idea what that means. I don't know what that means. Well, if you do, you do. If you don't, you don't. I don't know what that means. Neither do I. Uh, I don't get what that means. What's that mean? <laughs> Brilliant show. But isn't, isn't that where we go in life sometimes? I mean, really, when you think about you know, what life is like and some of the questions we ask in life, some of the big questions of life, one of, the, one of, if not the biggest question we've been asking since we got kicked out of the Garden of Eden is, what's that mean? What's the meaning of this? What's the meaning of this life? What does life mean? And sure, we have other things that we're searching for first. If you understand Maslow's hierarchy, that whole, that whole deal, like, well, we got other things we got to find out before self fulfillment self-realization you know we, before we find out what life means we got to get food and water and we got to be warm and well fed and well covered and we got to be secure and safe and and we got to have friends and relationships and intimacy and we have to have accomplishment and then we get to this spot we go i want to be self-actualized you know which sort of makes this like a first world problem because you know you got you got people in, you got people around the world that never get past level one of figuring out what our needs are and yet even those people, I believe, are asking the question, what is, is this all there is? Is this what it's about? Is this what it means? What does life mean? And life is weird because life drains the meaning out of itself. Like life is its own vampire. It drains the meaning out of itself because just the grind of life makes us start to ask, is this all there is? Is this what it means? I mean, what's your routine? What's your routine every day? I get up, 
I got a routine. I get up, I take a shower, I get dressed, I go make tea for my wife, and then I make breakfast for me, and then I go to work, and I manage the things at work, and I come home, and I run, and I, I got all this stuff that I do that I have to manage, and I don't have children at my house anymore. So like for me, there's so, it's like a little easier. I get to what does that mean a lot faster, you know? And some of you are like, yeah, but I do all that stuff, but then I got to manage the, the children. The, the, see? And we end up coming to this question where we go, well, yeah, but what does this all mean? The grind of life can suck the meaning right out of life, and it happens for Jesus' followers just like it happens to everybody. And we go, what does that mean? We are richer than we have ever been, but we still lack meaning. We still wonder about meaning. We still ask the questions of meaning. There's a phrase in the Bible for this. It's called chasing the wind. It's a great phrase for a terrible problem. We are wind chasers. And when we chase the wind, we end up empty of meaning. In the middle of the Bible, there's a book called Ecclesiastes. It was written by King Solomon, the wisest man in the world. And he describes the challenges of finding meaning in this life. And, he, and, he, and he's a student. Solomon was a student. He wasn't just the king. He wasn't just the son of a king. He was a student, like a scholar, like a professor. And he did all this research. He researched all these different areas of life really thoroughly. And when he got done, he wrote this book of Ecclesiastes. He goes, I, I've studied everything. Everything, you know, he didn't, you know, study microprocessors because they didn't have those, but everything they had, he studied. And then he wrote his book, Ecclesiastes, and it was all about meaninglessness. It's weird that it's in the Bible because I'm like, no, oh, if, if, if you know God, it's about meaning. And here's Solomon, he should know God because he's the wisest man in the world, and he writes this book, it's all about meaninglessness. And how many of your neighbors are living a life with meaninglessness? We have all these apologetics things like where we talk about who God is and we try and explain our faith and defend our faith and all these kinds of things. And, and all of our neighbors around us don't even necessarily care about that stuff until they get this question answered. What does life mean? And way too often, those of us who are Jesus followers can't even say, well, this is what life means. Solomon does his study and then he he writes it down in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it ends up being sort of a list of all the things in, the, in this world that are meaningless. You want, to, you want to hear the list of things that Solomon decided were, were meaningless? Really? <laughs> what are, you, are you feeling happy and feeling need to be depressed? <laughs> okay, let me give you the list of things that Solomon discovered are meaningless, working through the book of Ecclesiastes from chapter 1 to chapter, tw- chapter 12. What's meaningless? Solomon says, everything. Oh, but then the the list goes on from there, right? Everything, work, generational cycles, natural cycles, everything comes back to that one again because that's a big one. Newness, oldness, past generations, wisdom, pleasure, public works, private wealth, saving my work and wealth for others who might not appreciate them. Work, oh, that's a repeat also. Wickedness in the place of justice, death because we're like the animals and we all die. Oppression, work, again, isolation, politics, there's no hope in it. Government, everyone's on the take. Greed, whoever loves money never has money enough. We're at chapter 6. Is that enough? 
wealth without the God-given capacity to enjoy it. Appetites, pleasure, laughter, bribery, extortion, anger, injustice, cynicism, chance, sudden death, the future, youth, vigor, everything. Well, that's disturbing. But it's in the Bible. And it's not that he's trying to say, look, life is meaningless. He's trying to say, I've looked at all these things. And I know you want to find the answer to this. What's that mean? And he goes, I want to, I want to show you. And my goal as we, as we take this series over the next seven weeks or so, my goal is to get us to the place where we go, here are the things that life means. We won't hit on everything that's coming. But let's talk about those things that bring meaning to life, the things that are God-given meaning bringers as opposed to meaning suckers and the things that suck the, the, the meaning out of life. God never intended us to be insignificant. Yet so many people feel insignificant in this world. God never intended us to be or feel insignificant. God intended a life that is full. And what my hope is, is that we can find the way to fullness. What is the way? What is the path to be full? If you have your Bibles, why don't you take them out and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Right right in the middle, right? Oh, and if you don't have a Bible, you can use your smartphone, right? But... um, what month is this? Yeah, it's June, which is bring your Bible to church month. Right on. So, and, and the reason we do that is because we think the Bible is the word of God. It spe- he speaks to us through it. So bring your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, bring it on your phone. That's cool. You can use the YouVersion Bible app. But it's bring your Bible to church month. Next weekend is July. You know what month that's going to be? Bring your Bible to church month. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so easy. You can always figure out, hey, what month is it? It's bring your Bible to church month. All right, here's Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. Listen to this poetry. There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. You remember the band of birds? If, if, you, if you remember that band from the 60s, you, you, you probably know this poem. It's like, you already know scripture. If you just let, listen to a little bit of rock and roll, John Bowles would love this part. You're like, oh, listen to a little bit of rock and roll. Kind of mild rock and roll, but it's, you know, it's kind of in the genre and stuff. And, and they use this passage from scripture. There's a time for everything. Turn, turn, turn. <laughs> it's compelling 
in its beauty, and it can be compelling in its emptiness. To everything there is a season, a time for this, a time for that. When it's at the right time, when it fits its timing, it's beautiful. When it's outside of its timing, it's not so beautiful. Beauty is that which is right and that which is proper and that which fits. When my mom passed away about three or four years ago, I wasn't ready for it. I don't know if you're ever ready for it when, you're, when one of your parents dies. I don't know if you're ever ready for that. But there was something beautiful about it. For one, because her children and some of her grandchildren were around the bed where she was lying. And to be with her in that moment when she passed from here to eternity, that was beautiful. But there was something beautiful even in the timing of it because her parents had already gone before her and all her kids were still alive and that's how it should be. But when a child dies before their parents, we always say parents should never outlive their children. And it devastates us. It's not beautiful because it's out of time. See, the things that are beautiful bring meaning, and the things that are beautiful are beautiful because they fit their purpose. Remember when the Purpose Driven Life was really big, that book uh, by Rick Warren, remember that? How many of you have that on your bookshelf somewhere, Gathering Dust Now? It was great when it came out. It was really popular. sold billions of copies or something around the world. It's like, everyone wanted to get on that. Why? Because he was saying, this is what your purpose is. And all of a sudden, everybody's figuring out, if you want to have meaning, you have to understand purpose. Something is beautiful if its function aligns with its purpose. Here's a definition of meaning. What does life mean? Well, the word to mean is defined as to have in mind as one's purpose. If you don't know your purpose in this world, you will never find meaning in it. If you don't believe there's purpose in this world, you will never have meaning in it. It's so interesting to me that so many people have abandoned faith in God because once you abandon faith in God, now you have an accidental world. And an accidental world can never move us to meaning. Because meaning is centered on purpose. Definition of meaning, giving something meaning, something having meaning is, meaning is the end or purpose or significance of something. First step toward purpose is understanding God's intention. Now, go back to verse 11, and it says this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. God set eternity in the human heart. What's that mean? I think God put eternity in our heart because he wanted us to know for certain that there is more to this life than this life. This is not all there is. If this is all there is, well, there's other songs about that too, right? If this is all there is, what difference does it make? Let's go dancing because it doesn't make any difference at all if this is all there is. But God has put eternity in our heart. Eternity is where God dwells. Eternity is beyond our time frame. 
Eternity begins to get the picture of how big God is, and he has put eternity in our heart so that we would follow him. It's like our eternity is in our heart, and it's designed by God to pull us forward. It's like, God had a, it's like God had his hands on our shirt and he's just pulling us forward because he put eternity in our heart and he wants that to draw us straight to him. If you don't believe eternity is in our heart, you don't want to honor God with life or with death. I've officiated a lot of funerals in my ministry career it's it's one of the hard parts of my job but it's also one of the beautiful parts of my job because when someone passes and we get together around and remember them and honor them and honor the life that they live that's amazing but when they have faith in christ and we knew and we know that they pass over from this life to another life or to another like to an extension or a a change in this life it's beautiful i've never officiated a wedding where the people in the room thought the person in the casket didn't go to heaven. Did I say that right? Oh, I said wedding. <laughs> What's that mean? Change that. I've never been to a, well, sometimes weddings are like funerals. No, just kidding. You didn't hear that here. (sighs) My wife was at the last gathering, so she'll listen to this one. I've never been to a funeral where the people in the room didn't think the the person in the box didn't go to heaven. I still don't know if I said that right. Let me say it this way. Everybody who goes to a funeral thinks the person in the box went to heaven. That's how it always goes. That's, we have funerals for people we think are going to heaven. Now, if you don't think God exists and you don't think God has a purpose, you don't think God's moving with intention in this world, and therefore there can't be meaning in this world, you don't host a funeral for your loved one. If your loved one didn't believe in God, you're probably not hosting a funeral. It's becoming more and more common today that people don't hold, host funerals for their loved one because they go, they go well, they didn't believe in God anyway. We don't need a religious talk about this person because they didn't believe in God anyway. So they just, they, so they just believe they just, they're, they're, they're done. Because there's no meaning to it. God has placed eternity in our heart because it draws us toward him where he is. And you feel this thing that makes you go, what's that mean? What does this mean? What's the meaning of this thing? That's God having eternity in your heart drawing you toward him. And that's all about purpose. That's all about intention and how he designed us to move toward him. God has placed eternity in human hearts that we might seek him, that we might search for meaning, and he invites us to search for meaning. And then he says, and, and here's one of the things I found. Solomon says, just to, just to wrap up on a helpful note, hopeful note for you before we finish for today. We'll, we'll continue this conversation for the next six weeks after today. But just to finish on a hopeful note from Solomon today, he goes, God invites you into the search for meaning. 
and he wants you to find it. It's not like, it's, it's not like he's hiding it from you. Verse 12, he says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. Nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live. Be happy is just sort of another way of saying to find meaning and, and do good while they live. Now, there's a, there's a way to understand that that I think would be helpful. There's an old doctrinal statement that people have followed for now hundreds of years called the Westminster Confession. Um, if you grew up Presbyterian, you probably know about this. One. Two. Good. That's, that's good enough. Yeah, you don't really have to know what that's about. But it's this long statement about we believe this about God. We believe this about God. We believe this about God. It's all these things we believe about God. It's called the Westminster Confession. Now they were trying to teach that to people that were just coming to faith in Christ. And like, we need to have a catechism to help us understand the confession. Catechism is like Sunday school. So in the catechism, they would ask all these questions about the things that were, that were stated in the Westminster Confession, and they had one statement in the catechism that sort of summarized the whole confession. And it said this, the chief end of man, or put it in modern language, the chief end of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I'm like, I really love it when they make it simple. Chief end of man, the chief purpose of mankind is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But uh, there's a guy named John Piper. He wrote a book several years ago called Desiring God, and he explained this concept in his book. He's like, when the people wrote the Westminster Confession, they said the chief end of man is to, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. He said it was only one chief end of man, not two. It's not glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's not two ends not two chief ends of man, chief purposes of man. It's one. He said what they had in mind was this. The chief end of humanity is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. One leads to the other. That's what I think Solomon is saying in Ecclesiastes 3. I know there's nothing better for humans in this life than to be happy and do good to others. And those aren't two different things. That's one thing leading to the other. To be happy is to find meaning. He's saying, what I, what, what I find in all my studies, and all my research, there's just this one thing I can tell you. There's nothing better for, your, for a human being than to find meaning by doing good for others. You ever notice that when you give your life to others, how much it changes you? You ever notice how when you give your life to others, you give yourself to others, that it shapes and changes you? That's because God put eternity in your heart, and that's pulling you toward him. On Wednesday night, this next week, we're going to host a meeting to talk about this village that we're sponsoring in India. You're welcome to come to it. I don't know if it'll be a big meeting or a little meeting. I don't really know, but we're going to talk about what we're going to do in India, and we're going to talk about bringing the gospel to children in India, and through them, hopefully, to bring the gospel of Jesus to their parents, and through them, hopefully, to bring the gospel of Jesus to their village. And the whole idea is to do good to them by bringing Jesus to them, helping them to answer the question, what does that mean? What does this life mean? love to invite you to come to it. We're going to talk about what it looks like to do good to others in India.
I saw an email or I saw a Facebook post from a friend of mine this week. She works at the Twin Lakes Food Bank and she put this up and I thought, this is a great statement of what it looks like to do good to others. This gives life meaning. She wrote, another humbling day at the Twin Lakes Food Bank. Three homeless guests tugged at my heart today. The first gentleman was on foot, literally, as in barefoot. He kept hopping from foot to foot on the hot pavement. One of our volunteers had the heart to go and purchase some flip-flops for him and his mother. I have no idea how far he walked, but at least he won't have to scorch the bottoms of his feet in this week of extreme heat. The next two people were a young couple traveling on bicycles. I saw them trying to get in the front door as I was taking out the trash. I informed them that we were closed, but asked if there was anything they needed. The look in their eyes when I told them that I would help them was pure relief. I told them to come in from the heat. I found out their situation and escorted the young man to look for backpacks, a tarp, and socks, while another volunteer helped the woman with food and toiletries. We loaded them up with as much as they could carry. I gave them cold water and drinks and told them to be careful out there. They were so polite and appreciative, they kept thanking me for helping them. I don't know their story, but as we were getting into our air-conditioned car headed to our air-conditioned home, they had moved under a shade tree to pack their things, waving and again thanking me. It's days like today that make my work at the food bank all worthwhile and is a reminder to remain humble and stay grounded. I can't imagine any other life because that's a life with meaning Jesus I pray for us today I so much want us to live that life of meaning that you have for us I so much want us to feel that eternity that's in our heart pulling us towards you I so much want us to understand how others are involved, us giving ourselves to others, how much that is involved in finding meaning. So Lord, lead us together in this journey. We need you in it. We will never arrive there alone. Lead us in the journey, Lord. Be honored in us and among us and through us as we serve you and serve others. Lord, we trust you. Thank you. Amen.